If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for September 15, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm this host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day. From a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down, our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. That's freespeechbroadcasting.com. And I also urge you to check out my other podcast, which is the Individual One Podcast, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, where I focus on all of the news related to President Donald Trump. In this episode of the World According to Zig podcast, I will get to the many developments involving uh, the leaving Neverland fiasco, including the fact that they uh, won an Emmy uh, yesterday for Most Outstanding Documentary. My daughter Grace had a very interesting video response to that, which you'll want to hear. Cheryl Crow kind of retracted some of her comments this week. And uh, and some other elements of that story. We'll get to that, I promise. But this week has been focused for me on the reaction to the brand new book by Malcolm Gladwell called Talking to Strangers, which has a chapter in it devoted to the so-called Penn State Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky scandal, which I've been investigating for most of the last seven years to absolutely no avail, <laughs> except finding the truth, which used to matter but no longer does. Malcolm Gladwell cites me fairly extensively both in that chapter and in the notes in the book and uses some of my conclusions to come to his own new conclusions, which is that Joe Paterno and the Penn State administrators, Graham Spanier, Gary Schultz, Tim Curley, all got railroaded in a moral panic. They are innocent, and he no longer can say whether Jerry Sandusky is innocent, uh, although I have my opinions on what uh, he really believes uh, about that. Uh, now, I have uh, very low expectations on this story. I have low expectations in life, but I have really low expectations on this story. I have known for many years – I don't know the exact date – but I have known for many years that m- my side was not going to win here. Uh, I have known for several years that this was going to be a huge net loss in my life. And no matter what happens. Now, Gladwell, in our interview last week on the podcast, uh, said that I will live to see at least some vindication on this story. I, I disagreed with that. And I disagreed with him that, that this uh, chapter in his book was going to dramatically change anything because the media narrative is just 
too set in stone. It's too far away from the actual alleged events. And no one is incentivized. No one uh, – this is, you know, as I've mentioned many times, this is five-year-olds uh, with Santa Claus. That's who the media is. Five-year-olds invested in Santa Claus. They have no reason to blow up this myth. None. No one wants to admit they were wrong, and no one wants to accept the specter that they could be wrong about something of this magnitude when they all 100 percent said something uh, that was 180 degrees different from what I'm telling them was the truth. No one wants to do that. We don't live in that world anymore. And so when the Gladwell book came out, as I told Gladwell, I disagreed that this was going to change much. I said on the podcast this wasn't going to change much. So I had very incredibly low expectations. And I'm coming at this from the perspective of a guy who has had seven years of unbelievable frustration. I mean, knocking my head against a wall, enduring constant ridicule, not just from morons in the public, but from allegedly respected people in the media. I've had my career opportunities dramatically curtailed uh, because of my take on this story. Uh, Matt Lauer very politely declared my career dead in a second Today Show appearance in 2014 on all of this. So I come at this week <laughs> basically having scar tissue that uh, you know, is, is, a, is a mountain uh, of scar tissue. And even bracing myself with low expectations – even with all this scar tissue, even having endured all of this over the last seven years of frustration and disappointment, this past week has been incredibly depressing, mainly because it was a comedy of errors that I had nothing to do with. So let me review just the last uh, few days. So we do the podcast interview with Malcolm Gladwell last Sunday. It's a really good interview. I urge you to check it out. You can find it at Free Speech Broadcasting. Uh, dot com. So the, I have no issues with the interview itself. I mean, do I wish Gladwell would have gone farther when it comes to Sandusky and told, told people what I think he really believes? Sure. But I wasn't expecting that because, again, I have incredibly low expectations, <laughs> very low expectations. I, I believe everyone in this – almost everybody's either a coward, a moron, or both. I mean, that, that's my default. Unless you prove me otherwise, that's what I presume. Everyone's a coward or a moron or both. And when you've got something to lose like Malcolm Gladwell, I actually cut you some slack. So I'm not going to criticize him. He's done more than anybody else of his ilk has been willing or able to do. And so I liked the interview. I put out a column on Mediate, which I really liked, talking about the interview. Gladwell himself told me he liked the interview. I mean, the, the, the article about the interview. And so I felt really good about that. And the, the column which I think you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Eventually you will, or just Google it. Or actually it's the pinned tweet on my Twitter feed. The, the whole point of the column is, one, to tell you what Gladwell said, but also I'm making a direct plea to members of the media. Now remember, I write for Mediaite. It's about media issues. It has an extremely large following of people in the media because people in the media love reading about and seeing stuff about the media because they're all narcissists, right? So I'm making a direct plea in the column. Hey, look, I still have a ton of stuff on this story that I've not made public on purpose because I've known it was not the right time. I'll hand it over to the right person. 
I'll hand it over. I don't want any credit. In fact, you can even blame me. I even say this in the column. Go ahead and blame me, because I've always known that if this if a miracle happened and this story was reversed, they would need a scapegoat. And I would be the scapegoat because what they would say is, well, you know, if Ziegler had been a celebrity or had been part of our club or hadn't been such an asshole about this whole thing, we would have believed him. We, it wasn't our fault. It was that, you know, that fate would have John Ziegler be the guy that tell what the truth was. That's why we didn't believe it. All right, fine. That's bullshit. But go ahead. I even say in the column, go ahead. Blame me. I'll take the blame. Just look at this, please, somebody. Nobody responded. Not one. Not one substantive response from a major media member to that offer of a career-making story where all the work has been done. That didn't shock me, actually. I was not surprised by that at all because I've experienced similar circumstances in the past. So that was not, you know, that was disappointing. There was always a glimmer of hope that maybe someone would respond, but I didn't expect that. However, many other things happened that were even below my very low expectations, Uh, almost to the point where you had to laugh. Either blow your brains out or you had to laugh. The only media outlet that I know will give me a fair shake on this is the talk radio station in State College, Pennsylvania, WRSC. The morning show host there, Jeff Byers, has been amazing. Of all the people I've dealt with in this story, there's only one person who has never, ever let me down in any sort of way, and that's Jeff Byers. Because Jeff Byers knows the story. He's lived there. He knows the people involved. He knows the Sandusky family. He knows Sandusky is innocent. And I've been appearing on his show for years and years. Whenever I needed it, no problem. So because the Gladwell book comes out, we schedule interviews on Tuesday and Wednesday morning. Now, when I do his show, I have to get up at least at 5.30 in the morning. Inevitably, I wake up way before then because I'm thinking about, okay, one, I don't want to miss it. Two, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. So as in Inevitably, I wake up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, which blows apart my whole day, right? So I do this two days in a row. We do the interviews. They're really good, very solid. But the only thing I really care about is that they post the damn interviews online so that I can share them on my Twitter feed and on Facebook so other people can actually hear it and there's a record of it. To this day, they still have not posted the damn interviews. And Jeff doesn't even understand why. They keep ha- they have all sorts of chaos going on at the radio station. He told me several times it was going to happen on a particular day. It has not happened, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen, and it pisses me off to no end. But that's actually, that was actually one of the more minor things that happened this week. I did a podcast with Matt Lewis, CNN commentator. He's been on uh, both of my podcasts before. Really good guy, conservative He knows nothing about the Penn State case, but the Gladwell book got his interest. So we do a podcast with him. It's phenomenal. I didn't even know he was going to ask me about Penn State. But it's a phenomenal interview on the whole Penn State thing. He's ecstatic about it. About 20, 30 minutes after we're done, he says, "Um, John, uh, we lost the file. We can't find it. Uh, uh, We're going to have to reschedule and redo this. Can we do it next week sometime? I'm like, really? Seriously? You cannot be serious! Uh, but they were. So only, I said, I said to Matt, it's the Penn State curse. Anything that can possibly go wrong. I've never had that happen before in a major podcast 
where, where they, the, the audio file was just completely lost. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to reschedule that uh, next week. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure something else will go wrong. Uh, I did another minor podcast that also went, well, that hasn't been put out yet. I have no idea what the hell happened with that. Uh, there's been all – my hope on this was that at the very least I would have a link to send to people both involved in the story and other m- potential media members who might be willing to take a second look thanks to Malcolm Gladwell taking a second look. And that has been uh, pretty much of a disaster. Uh, let me go through this. Um, we've got Gladwell himself – Well, again, I cut him slack. He's done more than anybody else was willing or able to do. He and I have exchanged a few emails. He's actually coming here to Los Angeles. Uh, He's not able to get together because he's too busy. Uh, I asked him to do a couple of minor things, which he sidesteps, which means he's not going to do them. As I imply at the end of that interview, I I tried to get him on the record, are you willing to help? And he said, yeah, I'm going to talk about this in interviews across the country. That has not happened so far, and that doesn't surprise me because – He's written a book about a lot of different topics. This is a very controversial and involved topic. It's not going to be the first one that Oprah Winfrey or, or CBS uh, Morning News or whoever, they're not going to waste their three-minute interview in a TV set setting on this. It's just not going to happen. And frankly, I, I don't think it's, you know, it's not at the top of his mind to make this what the book is about. He's trying to sell books. So I get it. Uh, but there's not going to be, based upon what I can tell, there's not going to be a major interview where Gladwell really lays it all out there. Uh, We're going to talk to a reporter who did an interview with Gladwell, uh, A.J. Perez, who was working for USA Today at the time, and this is part of the disasters that occurred. He did an interview with Gladwell that might have been what I was talking about, but you'll soon learn uh, why that did not happen, which was another part of my week of extreme frustration. So that's Gladwell. Bob Costas, who's been a big part of this story because he did the disastrous Jerry Sandusky interview. Bob and I have, have been in touch for years via email. I would say, I don't know exactly how many times, but oh, well over a dozen times. We've had two phone conversations. He's been tremendous at responding and frankly has been very open-minded, remarkably open-minded considering... <laughs> He's kind of as invested as anybody since he's the one that, in a lot of people's minds, convicted Sandusky. And much like Gladwell, I think Costas' real, uh, real views in this case are uh, more dramatic than he's willing to say publicly. I sent the Gladwell link to his assistant. The assistant said, thank you very much. Bob will take a look. I have not gotten any response from Bob Costas, which that surprised me. I figured Costas would respond at least. Uh, and I'm sure he's busy. It's still baseball season. But uh, that was a disappointment. Uh, other media members, a couple of whom I had no real expectations for. I was frankly just fucking with them uh, by sending this to them. <laughs> uh, but Don Vanatta of ESPN, who loves Malcolm Gladwell, he has a brand new show on ESPN, which he said in PR materials, he's patterning after Malcolm Gladwell's podcast who has done a lot of reporting on the Penn State case. And frankly, if you go to YouTube and you look at, uh, if you search Don Vanatta, John Ziegler, uh, you're going to see an amazing video uh, of a phone call that I record where he brags about all the things he's going to report negatively about Mike McQuarrie and then never does because ESPN clearly censored him. I sent this to Don Vanatta, said, hey, I, I look forward to your story since you love Gladwell so much on how the, the date situation 
is still totally wrong. And, of course, I got no response there. Uh, Will Hobson, a reporter from the Washington Post, who did a whole very long investigation of this whole Penn State thing, which turned out to be a pile of garbage. I mean, garbage. I spoke to this guy for hours and hours and hours, and uh, I, you know, he, he got in touch with all the right people, uh, but he just refused, refused to do even a remotely decent piece of journalism. I sent this to him. Uh, he actually responded via text. And let's just say uh, it did not go well. <laughs> it, it did not go well at all. We basically went out after each other uh, in, in a, um, a, a very uh, explosive <laughs> exchange on, on text. But that was pretty much what I expected there. Bernie Goldberg. You probably know him from his Fox News appearances before he uh, got bounced because he was anti-Trump. Uh, he's on HBO's Real Sports. <clears throat> and a guy who I, uh, I've always thought might get this story. Uh, and boy, have I been disappointed there. I've tried many times to get Bernie Goldberg interested. And uh, one of the problems, one of the many problems in this story is that younger reporters <clears throat> are, are so politically correct. And, and they're not in it for the truth. And they're not real journalists, uh, but at least they know how to work technology. Older reporters like Bernie Goldberg don't even understand how to work technology. And I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I don't know what's going on with Bernie Goldberg's computer, but I have sent him things on multiple occasions, on multiple stories that he's not even able to open up because his computer won't let him. I'm like, really? Really? Come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. And, and he's not making it up. I mean, because he keeps asking, can you send it to me in another format or whatever? And I do. I sent him the Gladwell uh, story in a Word document. He couldn't open up a Word document. So I, I basically had to give up on, on, not on Malcolm Gladwell, but on Bernie Goldberg looking at Malcolm Gladwell's work. Because he couldn't open up a goddamn Word document. So that was Malcolm Gladwell. Aphrodite Jones, the Michael Jackson fans will remember her. She's been a, a, a somewhat supporter of Michael Jackson, wrote a book about his trial. She was on this podcast a couple months ago. Frankly, I was very disappointed with her interview about Michael Jackson. But she and I had about an hour-long conversation about the Sandusky case, which she covered. She was there in the courtroom. She covered it. I thought I convinced her that this was well worth another look. She, she said to me, hey, you want to do a podcast about this? I said, sure, let's do it. Then she started hemming and hawing, and she was really busy, blah, 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 blah. And so I sent her the Goldberg thing. I said, look, this is a really good time to do the podcast if you're still interested. You know, we got this thing with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And she says, yeah, thanks so much for sending this to me. I've just started a new book project. I can't do anything until uh, mid-2020. Like, What? What? Come on. You cannot be serious. And I, I just, you know, my default is to presume cowardice in this case. I presume cowardice. And then there was Michael Isakoff. Michael Isakoff is a guy who I have targeted on this case for years because I really respect Michael Isakoff. He and I did an interview for, for uh, this podcast at the end of last year, which President Trump actually tweeted about three times because he liked it so much because Isakoff was coming to the conclusion that there was no proof of uh, Russian collusion, so to speak, in the, the whole uh, Robert Mueller Russian probe, which, based upon Mueller's conclusions, you could argue was actually true, although I'm not still not 100% convinced. Anyway, I've always liked Isakoff from way back 
uh, during the, uh, the Clinton impeachment situation because I thought he was a good reporter. And so I sent uh, – he and I have had a conversation about Penn State before. It didn't go particularly well. And he basically begged off and said, look, I don't have the bandwidth for this. I don't have the time or the inclination. I'm busy on Russia, uh, you know, maybe some other time. I'm like, okay, fine. Well, this was the some other time. The Malcolm Gladwell book comes out. I know he knows Gladwell. He respects Gladwell. Everyone in the liberal media elite club does. So I send him the link. Can you please look at this? Interestingly, Isakoff, being an older reporter, couldn't figure out where the goddamn link to the interview was within the article. So I had to send that to him separately. But okay, no big deal. So he reads the article. He listens to the interview. He says, "Uh, interesting. Uh, I have a few questions. And we agreed to talk on the phone. So uh, we agreed to talk on the phone. I speak to him. Uh, I don't know how long it was, 35, 40 minutes. And I'm explaining to him exactly what he wants to know about. He wants to know about victim number two, the kid in the shower, the whole story there. What proof was there that the prosecution knew who he was and then lied to the jury and said his, his identity was known only to God. And, uh, and he's not really getting it. But I'm still trying my best to to be respectful and say, Michael, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what more proof you could possibly ask for in this kind of a situation. But if you look at the whole totality of this and Michael had been at the trial and had been convinced that Sandusky was guilty, uh, you know, I, I really think that if you look at this in the big picture, you're going to understand it. And then it's at one point he says to me, you know, this whole date thing, which is one of the biggest parts of Malcolm Gladwell's chapter. This whole date change thing doesn't bother me very much. I'm like, what? What? You you, you don't care that he got the date wrong by 13 months at first, and now we have a a new date, a third date for this, with a six-week gap from the time that Mike McQuarrie allegedly saw this and the time he goes to see Joe Paterno? And he says, no, I don't really care because, you know, Christine Blasey Ford didn't have a date for her episode, and that doesn't mean she was... Not telling the truth. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You cannot be serious. So Michael Isikoff, a guy who I thought was pretty smart, first of all, thinks that there's an analogy between Blasey Ford's story, which was in the early 80s, and McQuarrie's story, which is in the early 2000s. Uh, uh, that's mind-blowing. But more importantly, he believes Christine Blasey Ford as, like, unimpeachable? If you believe Christine Blasey Ford's story at this point, then I'm sorry. You'll believe anything. You will believe anything because there is absolutely no corroboration at all when there should be tons. And there's massive holes in the story, including where and when it happened. So at that point, I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, And then he he had to take another phone call. And so I, I had to wrap it up. And as I was wrapping it up, again, I was very, very respectful. I say to Michael, look, um, Here's the deal. Uh, you know, he wanted to have Gladwell on his uh, podcast. I gave him Gladwell's email, which I, I'm going to regret doing because I hope he actually doesn't interview Gladwell at this point because uh, he, he's got his head up his ass. And it's not, there's nothing good's going to come out of it. But uh, I, I say, look, Michael, uh, I know I'm right about this, and I can answer any question you have. And he literally laughs at me. He literally laughs at me. It's a chuckle. But it was clearly a mocking chuckle. And as we hung up the phone, I realized, okay, that was the last tiniest little glimmer of flicker of flame of hope being extinguished for all time. Because if Michael Ishikov 
doesn't understand it. When Malcolm Gladwell has written a book about it, and I just spent uh, two long conversations laying it all out, and he's believing uh, Christine Blasey Ford, then I'm sorry. There's no hope. There is. I mean, I'm someone, I don't need a lot of hope. Just give me the tiniest little bit of hope. But that I will always remember that as the moment, as the tiniest little flicker of hope being extinguished uh, forever. Uh, now, there is one uh, mainstream reporter who has gotten interest, who I've been in touch with for a long time, and has been asking for uh, some documents. But I don't – and they're at a big operation, big outlet, but I just don't think they have the juice to make this happen. Uh, they're, they're a sincere person. I like them. I wish them the best. I'll help them if they need help. Uh, but I just don't have any expectation that anything will come of that. Uh, but at least there is just that one uh, reporter who has gotten more interested because of the Gladwell uh, chapter. As far as the people directly involved in the case, especially on the Penn State side, one of the more frustrating and depressing elements of this whole case is that I have more hatred, and that's the right word, hatred. I have more hatred for people who are allegedly on my side in this case than I do for the people who are against me. Because the people who are on my side, a lot of them know better and just don't have the brains or the guts to say it publicly. And and so I've been sending the Gladwell story to a lot of people in that category, and the reaction has been completely gutless, almost no responses. Uh, a couple people have responded in ways that I found to be hilarious. Uh, the, the person who runs the... Um, the group called PS4RS. These are basically Penn State grads who are very pro Joe Paterno who have completely screwed the pooch on their narrative. Allegedly, we're on the same side because we both have been supporting defending Joe Paterno. But they have taken this stance that everybody was guilty other than Joe Paterno and the administrators. Jerry Sandusky is totally guilty. His charity is totally guilty. Everybody, you know, and, and, and they're in the whataboutism. Uh, group. They're like, uh, you know, wh- why didn't Michigan State get as punished as Penn State for the Larry Nasser thing? Why didn't the second mile get punished as much as Penn State? No, 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 morons. You're looking at this totally wrong. The reason why the second mile charity didn't get punished is because they did nothing wrong. And you should be looking at this and going, well, wait a minute. If the second mile charity didn't do anything wrong, then clearly Penn State didn't do anything wrong. And if Penn State didn't do anything wrong, then maybe nothing happened. And that why, that's, that's why everybody should be exonerated here. But they've been too stupid to understand that, and they've done, been cr- incredibly counterproductive, and they've made it almost impossible for the truth to gain any traction because people like Penn Staters and the Paterno family are all invested in this myth because they don't want to admit they were wrong back in November of 2011. Well, the leader of this group, Mary Beth Schmidt, and I have had a very contentious relationship. Oddly enough, we sat together at the trial of Graham Spanier, and I thought she was finally starting to get it when she saw one of these bogus victims, victim number five, actually testified. But uh, I was wrong because she's just too politically correct. Mary Beth Schmidt uh, really liked the Gladwell interview. She likes Gladwell. And so I'm thinking, okay, the ice is starting to melt on PS4RS and Mary Beth Schmidt. Mary Beth Schmidt, after having shit all over me for years and having her group shit all over me for years, actually had the audacity to ask me for Malcolm Gladwell's contact information because she wanted to get in touch with him before he came to Philadelphia because she thinks that uh, his message will be helpful to them. I'm like, <laughs> you cannot be serious. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Uh, that's not what I told her in text, but I wanted to. I, I should have. Um, uh, but I mean, the, the, these people are just so fucking stupid and just so fucking cowardly. 
there's one member of the Penn State Board of Trustees that uh, has suddenly gotten back in touch because of the Gladwell interview. This is someone I've known for a long time, and they agreed to do an interview with me this week. Then all of a sudden, they text me and say um, they uh, have gotten injured and they're on too much drugs to do an interview. Now, here's the biggest problem with the PTSD that I have because of this case. I no longer believe anybody. So as soon as they start bailing, I presume, oh, you're fucking with me. You're, you're wimping out. You are, you know, I presume that's my fallback, which is not healthy because sometimes shit really does happen. And I'm now convinced that this person really did get injured this week. Uh, and we're hopeful that well, that will still eventually happen. But until it does, I, I won't believe it. But the biggest, the biggest screw-up this week occurred with the USA Today story that I have been uh, teasing for weeks that was going to come out in conjunction with the Malcolm Gladwell story. This was to be done by an investigative sports reporter at USA Today by the name of A.J. Perez. And, uh, and A.J. Perez uh, was somebody I've been in touch with for a very long time. And A.J. Perez... Uh, uh, was supposed to come out with a story this week. And that did not happen under excruciating uh, circumstances that when you consider it in the context of everything I just told you, I hope at the very least you will have new respect for my ability to endure excruciating torture. That's, that's really what you ought to get out of this is, wow, Ziggler cannot be broken. You cannot break me psychologically. Uh, because if anybody was going to break me, it was going to be this week, and it was going to be what happened with the USA Today story. Now, much to my surprise, A.J. Perez has agreed to come on the podcast and explain exactly what happened. So let's do that now. A.J. Perez, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Well, this uh, should be interesting on a number of levels, and I think that the easiest and best way to do this is to kind of go through the timeline uh, first of our interaction and and then your involvement in this story. Uh, by my recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've dealt with so many people on this whole saga yeah. over the last seven years, but I, my recollection is about a year and a half, maybe even two years ago, you and I started corresponding, uh, and I was trying to essentially lobby you to become interested as an investigative reporter then at USA yeah. Today in, hey, there's a lot more to this Penn State Paterno Sandusky story than meets the eye. I believe the media bought it. What is your, uh, bought into a, uh, to a myth, what is your recollection of, of how that began when we started interacting? I can't remember. Was it, be- was it before Kavanaugh? It was before that, right? Yes, I believe it, it was. was. Something I, I know we've conversed about Kavanaugh. Smollett and everything else over the years, um, and uh, yeah, there was uh, yeah, was, we just started chatting, and, I, and then you know, I have a lot of friends who went to Penn State. It's something that they never want to talk about. Um, so I uh, started looking into it more and more, um, warned my editors up to this more and more. Went to Penn State. I think it was in March this year. Mm-hmm. Um, went back there February, March, and you know, interviewed Dottie um, and started digging around other other things and. With an eye towards a bigger story, um, which could still happen. Um, and uh, and then in the interim, you told me a few months ago that Gladwell's book was coming out, and that's kind of where we're at. All right. Well, that's a that's a very quick summary, <laughs> much quicker than I was expecting. But it's okay. We'll we'll dive into it deeper here. So you mentioned that in the course of our interactions, and we had several phone calls. I don't know if you remember, but we had yeah, yeah, we we, we, we had several phone calls where I'm basically trying to 
to, and it's not your fault because you know you've been brainwashed like everybody else, trying to re-educate you as to yeah. what really happened here. And at, at a certain point, you become uh, convinced that there's enough there that you get your editors at USA Today to pay for you to go to state college to cover uh, one a press conference by Jerry Sandusky's attorney, but also more yeah. importantly to interview several people that I set you up with, exactly. uh, including yeah. Jerry Sandusky's wife, Dottie Sandusky, including John Snedden, the former C- yeah. NCIS uh, agent who investigated the case for the federal government and found absolutely no crime or cover-up. You also spoke to some other people there. I even got you a ride. <laughs> uh, I mean, there was, there, was yeah. a, there was a lot involved in that. And so take me through your trip to State College and, and how uh, you think that went from the perspective of seeing a very different side of this story. Yeah, I mean, I had never been to that part of Pennsylvania before. Um, and uh, and uh, my my involvement with this story kind of goes back to, you know, the, the when Paterno got fired and everything else. I was at Fox Sports at the time. I, I yeah, I was one of the reporters when, when the free report came out. I remember it was the night before I went to a concert and it probably was the last time I was <laughs> drank that much alcohol. Came home and it was that, that morning I was hung over and then the, the pre-report drops, and it was just, you know, going through that thing. Um, and at the time, taking it, taking it at face value just because, you know, this former FBI agent, you know, or kind of FBI puts a report out after several months of digging into it, and you're, you know, you kind of, you know, the whole default to truth. Well, you default to truth when someone of that background puts a report out on a subject where you're already convinced that Sandusky, um, uh, not, I'm not saying he did or didn't do it, but you're convinced that there must have been a cover. How did, how did everybody not know this? Right. Um, so that was kind of you know, going into that and you know talking to people. Even before I got to town, I was I you you put me in touch with people and called stuff in, into question um, uh, uh, to various levels. And I think the, the big thing I think what Gladwell really hit on was you know the, the cover up. There probably was not a cover up. I mean that's kind of going after the administrators like they did. Kind of was a big overreach. All right, so so you go to State College, and one of the people you interview is Dottie Sandusky, and yeah. I've had I've had a very complicated relationship with Dottie Sandusky. Uh, I've known her for years. We've interacted extensively. I've done interviews with her that have never been made public that I think are uh, rather remarkable. Maybe someday they'll be made public, uh, but partially in preparation for an interview we did together with Matt Lauer on the Today Show and uh, with another reporter on CNN about uh, hour-long interviews. Uh, and and the thing about Dottie Sandusky, AJ, that I've always been uh, baffled by in the news media, nobody wants to accept the idea that uh, Dottie Sandusky, for this case to be as we were told it was, has to be an accomplice to Jerry uh-huh. Sandusky. There's absol- this is not a normal, you know, like a murder case. Uh, uh, the, the wife has no idea what really happened and what didn't happen. She's standing by her man. She's delusional. That's not this. The, she, is, she is cited by two of the main accusers as being at the seat of the crime and effectively being a witness. Not to mention she knows all of these accused, almost all, one, they don't know at all because he's a total fraud, number 10, but, but that's another story for another day. But of those that yeah. testified, of those who testified, she knows them like sons. And so, yeah. uh, so first of all, you, you understand that reality, right? There's, there's no yeah. in-between with like, Dottie, right? Yeah. 
And like the one thing, I, I don't know if you talked about this before, but one thing about I thought I found that stands out with my interview with Dottie, spent about an hour with her, was people running away from her, the accusers and the accusers' families running away from her when she goes to the grocery store. They literally run, physically run away. <laughs> you know, that, that was just, you know, and it's, I don't think it's out of, you know, uh, shame or guilt. I think it's maybe it's out of shame or guilt because, you know, maybe they, you know, that's a strange reaction for, um, to, to, for, and she, and she doesn't even know why, you know, obviously there, you can read into it any way you want, but I found that very interesting. Right. So, so you agree that Dottie has to be an accomplice. And so in your hour with her, was there anything that you picked up on that, that no. was consistent with her being an accomplice to a serial pedophile? No, and I know, and it's strange how we, how, how Spanier and the others were charged for a conspiracy, but if there's, you know, uh, obviously the, you know, if, if she was there and she didn't, <laughs> and I would, you know, how do you not go after her too, I guess, you know, if this is, if this is such, if, if they're going after people who enabled Sandusky, you think the wife would, if, you know, onto the accusations, <laughs> if she had knowledge of it, you know. Much of the legalities of it in Pennsylvania, whether she can be charged, but you know they charge a lot of other people. No, that's a good point. I mean, if if somehow uh, you know Spanier, Curley, and Schultz, the administrators who are all charged and convicted, although Spanier's not yet gone to jail because his, his conviction was thrown out in, in uh, and his by federal court is, and the state court is still the state of Pennsylvania is still trying desperately to get him into prison for some unknown reason. But the, but you're right. It, you know, here is somebody who had far more information if this was real, was actually there as opposed to being told about it third or fourth hand. Uh, and, and we don't even know what they were told in the case of the administrators. So you're exactly right. And I, it's not consistent with what they claim to believe in this case. But that's one of many examples of that. What, how did you find Dottie Sandusky to be? Did you find her to be credible? Did you, what, what, give me your sense of her. It was like interviewing my grandmother. It was just, uh, you know, very, very, very religious. Um, uh, and, you know, it's still, you know, her life's been, you know, her life's been, you know, you know, torn apart, obviously, by the accusations. And if Jerry did it, that's understandable. Um, but, you know, she, she's believable. I mean, she was, I'm sure she's been, she's done a lot of these interviews with people over the years. Um, but she does, she, she, look, kind of what's, what, what's, what's strange. It's the accusations happened and a lot of them happened in that house. And she still lives there all these years later, you know, with the, with the stigma attached, you know, to what her husband, you know, was convicted for. And she still lives there. And she's still in talking to me in the living room, you know, where a few feet away some of the stuff happened. You think, you know, it's just that that's what struck me. I'm like, why not move? Um, and, but, but there we are just interviewing, you know, she's um, sitting down to her on her couch talking, you know, about all the stuff over the years and, you know, her interactions with, the accusers, um, and you know the kind of, kind of how 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 her life is around town, and you know how how often you know he right. she goes and sees Jerry, stuff like that. So I she nothing struck me as she was trying to deceive me. And you you're, you made a couple of really good points there. Uh, I've always said, uh, first of all, there's zero consciousness of guilt anywhere. Uh, and I would have found it because, you know, as I said, I've been in some very stressful situations with her uh, over an extended period of time. And, uh, and she absolutely would have moved. 
I mean, it would have been more convenient for her to move, especially when Jerry was in a different prison. Uh, you know, why is she still visiting him? Why hasn't she divorced him? I mean, you know, I mean, Weinstein's wife immediately divorced him. Uh, Nasser's wife immediately divorced him. <laughs> why is she not only not even divorcing, not even thinking about it? She's by far his biggest supporter, still is. His five of his uh, his adopted children are uh, hugely supportive of him. And so none of that makes any damn sense. And I think you, you hit on it exactly right uh, in, in your assessment of her. Now, what about the other people that you spoke to? You spoke to some other people who were very much involved in the, in the story and, and who understand the, the culture of State College exceedingly well. What did you make of them as far as bolstering Dottie's uh, quote-unquote testimony? Yeah, a lot of them were kind of kind of were, were in the camp of Jerry did it, um, and they were for a year or two, three or four years, and some. But the, some people I talked to just came around, you know, after just realizing, looking, looking at the accusations, looking at the the the, the stories that changed between you know, interviews for these accusers, and and I think more, you know, there's we know why Penn State wanted to move on, you know, Penn State settled with a lot of people and a lot of people, maybe they probably shouldn't have um, just to, just to move forward. And they don't, nobody wants everybody. It seems like everybody wants this case to go away, except for those close to Jerry, those close to Curly and um, Spanier um, and the others. But, you know, those, you know, they, I think they just thought, they thought that, uh, you know, they eventually the um, didn't buy the cover story, I guess, or didn't buy the convictions. Didn't, you know, they, they, they had questions. They had questions about, you know, how how this was about, this was uh, actually took place and allowed to happen in America if if these right. these allegedly innocent men were railroaded. You, you said something really important there that that a lot of people you spoke to in State College had changed their minds over time, and yeah. uh, and to me, one of the most important pe- things people need to understand to figure out how this happened because I get this all the time. They can't wrap their people can't wrap their brains around an injustice of this magnitude. They don't understand how could this happen. And I when I try to explain it to them, I say we have a unique set of circumstances here because of the Joe Paterno firing, and because of the media firestorm, and because of the nature of the allegations being so horrific. You have a community that instantly becomes invested in. Uh, separating themselves as much as they humanly possibly can from Jerry Sandusky. And part of that is making sure he is convicted as quickly as possible because that shows, that shows the rest of the world, hey, we here in State College, we don't, we don't enable child molestation for football. We're going to show the whole world how much against child molestation we are. Do, do you see where I'm coming from having yeah. experienced and I also there's also the, the the thing is what would have happened if Paterno didn't you know, die of cancer not long after he was forced out. Right. You know, if Paterno was still alive, I mean, it would it would be an interesting kind of to see um, you know how this would have turned out and if it would have changed how uh, uh, the Sandusky was um, was uh, um, uh, tried and, and the others too would would others have ever been charged for with conspiracy and you know what would uh, or you know kind of conspiring to to hide this. I mean if Paterno, you know, he did a lot for that school, and if he, if if they charged the others, they would have had to charge Paterno eventually. I mean, that 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 that's like another what if. Well, you make it. I, I agree with your first part that if Joe Paterno had lived and been somewhat healthy, 
through yeah. this period. I do think it would have turned out totally differently yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, Jerry Sandusky doesn't just become a pedophile who caused Joe Paterno to be fired and end a 61-year career. He then soon becomes the pedophile who killed Joe Paterno. Now, you know, yeah. try, try getting a fair trial in state college five months after that happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's impossible. Now, I, I disagree with you uh, on the issue of Paterno being charged. They couldn't charge Paterno because Paterno was their star witness. Patern, yeah. Paterno, if, if not for Joe Paterno backing up in what I believe was a mistake on his part, I believe Joe Paterno at 83 years old didn't remember what the hell Mike McQuarrie told him 10 yeah, years ago. Right. Yeah, that, 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 is a good, yeah that, that is a good point. There was, and, and that's why we have Paterno's family kind of um, you know, backing the prosecution. Well, um, that well, makes sense. Well, and, and what you just said there is the next step that is incredibly important for people to understand because they don't, no one, I get criticized by this almost on a daily basis. Well, why aren't the Paterno family members support, supporting <laughs> you? And I say, you don't understand the case. They be, the Paterno family became literally invested in Mike McQuarrie and the prosecution's case because Joe Paterno was, I believe, manipulated into being his star backer. And, and let's be very clear. You know the, the sports media very well. If, if when this thing broke back in November 2011, right, and, let's, and Joe Paterno had only been on the record with his very, very, very vague grand jury testimony where it's clear he, he's not sure what the hell Mike told him 10 years earlier. If, if there's a press conference and Joe says, I don't know what the hell Mike told me 10 years ago. I, I, I don't know. I, Jerry never did anything I knew about. If he says that, this case is, mm-hmm. o- this case is over. This case is over because in, in Pennsylvania, Joe Paterno is essentially he God. Was, yes. He's God. Yeah. And so if God yeah. is saying, I don't know what Mike is talking about, it's over. I mean, you, real, yeah. you, you, you agree that there's no case if Joe Paterno does oh, that. Yeah, that would have been totally different. Yeah, if he would have told the grand jury... Or would, it, or would it came out publicly and said, I don't, you know, do not recall what, what Mike told me. You know, and it would also clear the date up. If, 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 if Joe lived, maybe we would have actually got the date of uh, the shower incident, you know, or the reporting by McQuarrie of the shower incident or whatever happened in the shower. Um, that would have been, that would have cleared a lot of things up. Well, I want, I want to get to that because that's where Gladwell's book comes in and where your reporting was, I was hoping was going to help bolster that. We'll get to it. I promise we'll get to it, AJ, but I I just want to make sure we get all this on the record. So, so, uh, you make an interesting point, uh, about, about the, the situation regarding the date and, and, uh, McQuarrie's testimony. It's one of the things that I even don't do enough. And I should have done it in my interview with Malcolm Gladwell because Gladwell, I don't think fully understands who Mike McQuarrie is. What you yeah. inadvertently just referenced is that after Paterno dies, Mike McQuarrie's story changes dramatically about what he said. And that's not a coincidence because he now knows he doesn't have to worry about Joe Paterno saying, Mike, that didn't happen. He's now free to tell a story that is much more consistent with what the prosecution wants. And that's another aspect of this that no one, including myself, mentions enough. So, so let's talk about the date where I wanted you to focus 
I knew that yeah. I knew that Gladwell was going to write this book, and that he was fascinated by the date. And I also know very well that our attention spans are incredibly short, and <laughs> and that there's it, this is such a complex case. I want to yeah. I want to be able to narrow well, this. We, we, and we we had arguments over this, but I, and I totally you know, and obviously you got. I mean, Gladwell agreed with you, and really kind of zeroed in on this. Right, and so. What I'm looking for is something that the average person can understand to at least make them go, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't make a lot of sense. And so there were two things. There are two things that are in Gladwell's book that I know that you were you were focused on as well and that mm-hmm. you were investigating. One mm-hmm. is the, this uh, idea that, that, that I came up with, uh, not just an idea, but it's based upon an enormous amount of investigation, and it's backed up by an enormous amount of evidence. But Gladwell was convinced and put it in the book that we still have the wrong date of the McQuarrie episode. It was not March 1st, 2002, as originally reported in November of 2011. It was not February 9th, 2001, which was the date used at Jerry Sandusky's trial. That, in fact, it was December 29, 2000, and that there was a six-week gap between the time McQuarrie witnessed whatever the heck he witnessed for two or three seconds through a mirror and him going to see Joe Paterno the day after a job he wanted opens up. Uh, yeah. Where are you on on that assertion that Gladwell has accepted as true? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of right there. I mean, there's, there's just, there, it couldn't have happened the day that, you know, there was too much going on. Um, there was a concert, there was a hockey game, just you know, around the same time, you know, the, the campus was not deserted as McCurry first indicated. So it couldn't have been the initial date, um, uh, most likely. Um, and I think, I think Gladwell kind of really, you know, kind of was going where, 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 where I'd go with this. Um, and I know, and, and where you went before <laughs> for, for years, John. Um, so I think that's it. And then he, you know, you, you, you laid out for him, you know, the date that was most, uh, most likely when it happened. And, and Gladwell goes into, you know, how McQuarrie goes, talk, tells, talks to his dad, talks to his family friend who's a doctor. The doctor didn't report it, even though manager, you know, by law he would have to if there was, um, you know, a, if there was abuse happening. Um, right. You know, their doctors have to report. And so that blows everything up. And if, it's, if there was a, a several-week delay before, between the incident and him going to talk to Paterno, I mean, that's, I mean that looks – that does not – that that raises a lot, uh, should raise a lot of red flags. And and just to put a finer point on it, and and I, I don't you know Gladwell's not a sports guy, uh, and, no. and and he's not even an American. So I mean he doesn't he doesn't get the the culture of of American college football. Oh, I think yeah, I think you know he knows sports well enough. I, oh, no, 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 I'm not, oh, wait, hold yeah, on. I'm but, not I'm not criticizing Gladwell. I'm, I, I, you didn't yeah. let me finish as well, well as. See, I, I I think I know you were going, John. Like you know, people don't understand what Penn State football really means. I mean, to or, or any major football program. I'm, I grew up in California. Even here in the D.C. area, we don't really have a major college program for football. Um, so, it, it, you know, people don't understand how, you know, Joe Paterno was a god. You've said it before. You know, right. But, you know, that's huge. All right, go ahead. Sorry. But, no, but where I'm going where this is slightly different, and, and I'm not criticizing Gladwell, I was actually going to compliment you as a sports investigative reporter. You would have a better understanding of how important it is that Mike McQuarrie, as a graduate assistant at this time, has a job that he wants that opens up the day before. That you understand that as a graduate assistant, you're a nobody in college in the yeah. college football hierarchy. And yeah. for for there to be a job, even as a former player, even as a former player, yes. 
Right. So you you understand, I think, better than Gladwell does how important that timeline is. There has to be something that provokes Mike going to see, not the police, yeah. not the police. He goes to Joe Paterno, the guy who can give him the job that just opened up the day before. You, you do see that as a, a Oxum's razor logical progression, right? Yeah, it would be. It would be a very uh, uh, cause and effect there. Would be, would be, you, you at least have cause and effect right there. You have, you have a date where, where you know, he would have likely talked to Paterno about a job opening up. Yes. And, and he, even, he even, in his testimony, says that he calls Joe Paterno and, uh, that morning, and Joe says, if this is about a job, don't bother coming yeah. over. I don't have yeah. one for you. Now, that, that to me, is clearly McQuarrie's subconscious, <laughs> who effectively confessing that this is really about a job. And, uh, and he's trying to throw people off the scent. Although, interestingly, Sue Paterno told me very directly and shouted at me when I happened to reference this testimony in the Paterno house, sitting at the same table where the alleged conversation between McQuarrie and Paterno occurred. She yelled at me, that never happened. Uh, and uh, I found that to be quite fascinating because Sue Paterno is now on record in an email saying that the meeting between McQuarrie and Paterno that day was all of three minutes where you, you, cannot, yeah. you cannot possibly tell Joe Paterno about a, having witnessed a sexual assault in three minutes. That's not possible. No. All right, so now there's another aspect of this that Gladwell uh, goes into uh, that no one else has been allowed to. I, I was prevented from doing so by the Today Show on mm-hmm. NBC in 2014, which was one of the biggest mistakes I've made in all this. I've made so many damn mistakes in this whole fiasco, but the biggest mistake I ever made was was being honest with the Today Show that I was going to say the name Alan Myers on their air because they could... Yeah. They can, I, I was shocked to see that name. Yeah, you're right. And and uh, so I was, I was completely... St- I was my interview with the Today Show in 2014, or actually 2013, was totally blown up uh, because of my honesty. Now Gladwell becomes the first mainstream outlet, if yeah, you will. I think there was a Reuters story I sent you back in like geez, a year ago. No, no, but probably six months ago, right? Yeah, but yeah, it's the first time you that really. Yeah, you're right. First okay. Time. So, so Gladwell uses the name Alan Myers, and this is so important, and I thought, wow, this is going to be great for AJ because this is going to allow him to use the name because this is the way the media works, right? The media, yep. the media, yep. the media needs cover, right? If, if a mainstream yep. outlet yep. does something, everybody else is allowed to do it. Is that correct, AJ? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's fair to say. We, we, we all have standards when it comes to uh, um, sexual assault, um, uh, sexual assault allegations and victims. Uh, Victims and alleged victims, but yeah, that's. But yeah, he came out, and it was interesting that he actually came out and used it um, in in right. such a way. Okay, so so you you agree with my cover uh, theory about the way the media works? Because because this yes. let's, be, let's be clear, there's nothing illegal about using the name. This is purely no. very subject, incredibly subjective. It's not even written down anywhere. This is just basically editors' feelings about what's right, whether or not we should use the name. Correct? I mean, there's nothing there's nothing written anywhere that says that. No, a name- no, no, no. Yeah, it's just more of a it's more of a yeah. It's kind of a standard thing right. uh, when it comes to this. Uh, this kind of uh, right. with a vi- with a very arbitrary enforcement because in this very, case, yeah, because- it, 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 it very and, and 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 you see it, you know, I cover a lot of sexual assault uh, allegations um, against pro athletes, and yeah, I we um, even when 
even when the allegations end up being false, a lot of the times we do not name the, the right. accuser. Okay, now, so let's talk about why Alan Myers is so important. Alan Myers is, is the now man, uh, a former mm-hmm. uh, sergeant in the Marine Corps, who, uh, when this story broke, was 24 years old and married, uh, who was a longtime friend of Jerry Sandusky's, and he was the person, he's the only one that ever claimed to be the so-called boy in the shower. Uh, he gave a statement knowing things that only the boy in the shower could know. He's the only one that claimed to Penn State to be the boy in the shower, despite the fact that there were millions and millions of dollars on the table. Uh, and he got paid by Penn State eventually about $7 million for being the boy in the shower. Yeah. Uh, when, when he I, was the one that had the op-ed defending Sandusky. Well, he wrote... Two, well, there were two, at yeah. least two different papers before the allegations yeah. blow up nationally. He wrote two yeah. op-eds or letters to the editors supporting Jerry Sandusky, saying, don't believe the accusers. He also invited Jerry Sandusky to his wedding, took a photo together with him in his Marine uniform at that wedding. Uh, on the day Joe Paterno was fired, he comes in and provides an extensive statement to uh, uh, Joe Amendola, Jerry Sandusky's defense attorney's uh, investigator, saying, uh, wait a minute, I'm the kid that was in the shower, Mike query is not telling the truth. I don't understand what he's talking about. Jerry's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Oh, by the way, I was interviewed by police two months ago. And I thought they were trying to get me to lie about Jerry Sadowski. I ended the interview saying I, you will never get me to say anything bad about Jerry Sadowski. I mean, he could not be a stronger, better potential witness for Jerry Sandusky. But then, of course, Paterno gets fired. The world comes crashing down. The Bob Costas interview happens. Everybody knows Jerry Sandusky yeah. is toast. I think that's the one thing, uh, that the Costas interview was more damaging than pretty much anything in this case to, to Jerry. It more, this, he, he looked you know, he looked guilty. He didn't answer the yeah, question why, why, why he was allowed to go on the air and, and, and this falls this been and and I I'd also fault his his first offense team, but for allowing that or anybody close to him for allowing that. But that just he just looked bad. I agree. I agree. And you know, but, but like, it looks for everything. I get that, AJ. But I, I you know, I I've always had a very different view of this case than everybody else. I knew yeah. that was disastrous. But I have to tell you, yeah. I have to tell you, AJ, it was so disastrous that that was the first time I thought to myself, wait a minute. How could a guy get away with this for 40 years and not be able to answer that question? Because if this was really happening for 40 years, this is all he has thought about for 40 years or plus. This is what we know about child predators and covering their tracks. Yes. You know, you're right. It was it was to go. It, would, it, it, it takes a different mind to come away with that. Come away with that. And when I think when people are like, oh, wow, well, you can't say Right. Well, but, but to be clear, to be clear, he did that. You know, it was taken slightly out of context because yeah. he had previously just said, "No, I'm not a pedophile." So in his mind, that's already on the the record. And, yeah. that, and then Costas, Costas asks him, "Are you sexually attracted to young boys?" And I don't think he could process the question. It was so bizarre no. to him. No. Yeah. It was so bizarre to him, and I and you know, AJ, I don't even believe that, that Jerry Sandusky is a sexual person. I believe that he is a asexual person. I think the medical records indicate that overwhelmingly. The fact that he never had natural-born children indicates that. Uh, yeah, and, I actually talked to, to uh, Malcolm about that issue, so, too. And what did he have to say about that? He was like, yeah, I saw the same stuff that you did. Um, you know, and he, and like you, you know, uh, in both of our interviews, he doesn't come out and say, um, Sam, well, at least with me, he didn't. 
Sandusky is for sure innocent. He didn't do that. He kind of uh, right. he kind of kicked that can down the road a little bit. Um, but uh, and um, you know, so he was not. You know, he was more obviously in, in the book and talking to us. I think he was more about um, you know Spaniard Curly okay. and the others getting getting uh, getting in, uh, indicted and convicted. All right, so let's talk about Gladwell's book and and your reporting as was planned uh, on this because because yeah. you and I had talked uh, for a long time. Okay, what's your hook going to be? Because you need a news yeah. hook, right? You need a news hook yeah. to be able to yeah. put this in USA Today. And I said. Yeah. I said, AJ, we've got a news hook. Malcolm Gladwell is coming out yeah. with a book. It's going to be September 10th. Uh, yeah. And you say, great, I'll interview him. You have trouble getting the book. You have, yeah, trouble, yeah. You, you have trouble getting a <laughs> yeah, schedule. Yeah, you, you, you had to, uh, you had to, you know, you had to put in some messages for me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I ended up getting two copies of the book. Right. So, so, right. Just so people understand how this works. So you, you're, you're, you've had it. You're basically ready to give up. Yeah. I and, mean, I really, okay. Between, I, I should, should, some book publishers, I mean, a lot of book publishers are hard to get a hold of. Um, and I actually found the right person, you know, at the, at the publishing company. And it was just, you know, they were having problems with their, 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 their mail system. They couldn't get me the book. I'm like, well, this had that interview set up. You know, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get you Malcolm. I'm like, okay, well, what's coming out? I mean, I need to keep this thing going. I need to start doing the work on this. I am just, I was bombarded with projects, which I got almost all of them done except for this one before I left. Um, you know, and it was, uh, you know, and I was kind of, Ray Rice was coming up, my big story uh, last weekend on that. And I was just, you know, I was kind of like, you know, this has to happen quick or else I need a freaking, I, I have so many things to work on. Right. Um, and you, you, you helped out. And right. So, so, so I, so I fixed that problem. You, yeah. you got the interview with Malcolm, you got your book. Yeah. And, yeah. and so Malcolm book, Malcolm's book is coming out this past week and yeah. you're planning to write about this in USA Today yeah. and Malcolm's, yeah. uh, you know, the, the focus here is, I presume, on the on the date of the episode the and on I, I'm hoping Alan Myers since he had yeah. mentioned Alan Myers' name and I'm thinking this is fantastic because this yeah. will give cover for the rest of the mainstream media to, to start looking into this. We need a, a mainstream yeah. uh, outlet to say, hey, look, folks, look what Malcolm Gladwell has done here. I mean, I wouldn't have gone as far as the Wall Street Journal did, though. Man, I was. Uh, well, we'll know. talk about but that. Yeah, you're right. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. So, so, so the day that I it was my understanding <laughs> yeah. it was my understanding that you were going to put this out on USA Today the day that Gladwell's yeah. book comes out and yeah, on Tuesday. Yeah. And I sent I sent you some quotes over the weekend. You're like, yeah, great. Yeah, but I, you're you're I, like, I, great, I, fantastic. And so the morning yeah. that morning I say. Hey, uh, where are we on this? What's the plan? And you say, yeah. uh, let me just finish and I'll get back to you. And I'm like, okay, yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, that, we're, we're in good shape. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you direct message me on Twitter. You yeah. don't, you don't... you're the first. You're, you're I mean, um, I was working on a couple things, but you were like, this story obviously on deadline. You know, this was, this was, uh, yeah, something that happened. <laughs> and, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, let me just explain to people because they have no, have no idea what we're talking about here. So I get a direct message from you, not a phone call, uh, a direct message. Uh, hey, John, I just quit my job. Yeah. And um, and my general reaction was basically. Why didn't you wait a day? <laughs> um, well, it was it was more dramatic than that. It was more like this. Yeah, I know. You cannot be serious. Um, I. <laughs> uh, and I was stunned. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's, I it's hard for yeah. me to get stunned. I have been screwed so many times 
in this yeah. story over seven years, it is hard, really hard for me to be stunned. I was yeah. speechless that you would quit your job knowing the uh, importance of this story and the unique nature of your uh, knowledge of the story. No one else was going to write this story in USA Today or anything close to it. How could you quit your job with this just literally hours yeah. from being done? How could you do that, AJ? I know. It just said kind of something. Just It just happened. Um, and, you know, it was something I was building up for a while. Um, and it was nothing to do with any of my direct, you know, editors or any of my co I love everybody there. It was it was something that was kind of more outside of uh, my direct group there at okay, work. So. I, and look, I get frustration with work. I've had uh, yeah, frustrations with work. I get how it builds up. But did it yeah. not occur to you, seriously, AJ, did it not occur to you that this was a unique situation, maybe deserving of sticking around for another day or two? Yeah, I know. That was my, I, I apologize. Yeah, this was, uh, yeah. I totally, yeah, you're, I, it was, I have another story about a suicide that I left on the table that, you know, that I wanted to get these two stories done before, but. So, but, I, thought, uh, but you, I, I, I get, I, was, I, I know, I know how much time you spent with me and how, and like I told you, I was like, Hey, this is, you know, I'm not writing for USA Today, but you know, I'll pop up somewhere and I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to work on this. So, well, that's I great, thought. but that's never, that's not going to happen because we've lost the news hook. Um, we've no, lost, I don't know. We've I lost. There's going to be, I mean, the, the, there's still, the cases are still going. I mean, okay, but we lost, we lost, we hold on, AJ, we lost the Malcolm Gladwell. We we, we lost a huge news hook because not only do we lose the hook, but now uh, there's not going to be any other stories about Gladwell's book. Your, your story could have facilitated other stories because it gives cover. That's the cover theory. That's the whole reason why I I, I babysat you for over a year on this. I mean, I I mean, and and so. when I get the and I appreciate I appreciate the apology, but you didn't really answer my question. Did it or did it not occur to you when you when you were deciding to quit your job that you were going to fuck me over? Did that not come into your no, head? No, 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 no. I know. Well, then why not? Why? I, know. <laughs> I well, it's just you know it. Yeah, you know, there there are reasons, and yeah, I don't. It, it's been you know there because I have the story pretty much done at that point. <laughs> That's why I was like, well, the draft did, you know. So, yeah. <sighs> oh, AJ. Oh, my Sorry. God. I, look, I mean. I, I apologize. And I appreciate the apology, but it does nothing for me. Um, I know. Uh, and, and I think you're, I think part of the problem here is that you were, uh, I believe, delusionally optimistic about uh, how little damage this causes. I, I get that that's the human reaction. You know, this isn't that big of a deal. We can recover from this. No, we can't recover from this. There's no, I mean, because by the way, let, let, you think you're going to get another job somewhere else. But guess what? You're going to be a newbie at the new job. Uh, yeah. The first, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to start. The, I think my reputation of uncovering and breaking news doesn't, it's not going to be. I'll be an intern somewhere. So no, I understand that, but the, you're not going to do. Uh, hey, hey, new boss, uh, I'm going to uh, question the the biggest media narrative in the history of sports investigative journalism in my first story. I mean, that's not going to happen. No, no. With, this, with, with Gladwell's book does change things, and it's going to change things going forward. I think, and I, I think that's that. It's it's. Well, you know, he 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 cracked open the. Uh, 
cracked open the door a little on this, at least. Well, so. I will, I'm going to hold you to that uh, promise. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't think you're right, but I'm going to hold you to it anyway, so uh, just yeah. for future reference. Before yeah, but you got you got a more prestigious outlet than even my old paper to, uh, to write about it. You mean the Wall- you. It was just on their own. I don't know. Wall Street Journal did that story. Well, yeah. You, so you referenced the Wall Street Journal, which um, I, I, I've already, before I introduced you, I, I, I referenced it, but I'll, um, yeah. I'll, I'll reference it again since you, you brought it up. This was shocking even to me. In, in fact, yeah. um, I, I, I was incredibly depressed this week. I've had a lot of bad weeks in this case. But this is one of yeah. the worst because so many bad things happen and nothing really good happened. And then all of a sudden... I find out through my father, who's an avid reader of the Wall Street Journal, that they had done an, a, a review of Malcolm Gladwell's book in which, uh, shockingly, they criticize him for not being willing to say Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Uh, and, um, and I was blown away. Did, you, John, did, did you think the chapter would end like it, like it did? Because we saw the footnotes. The, the footnotes were interesting and everything else, but I thought he was going somewhere else with it at the end of the chapter, and it looks like, it, I don't know, I don't, I wonder if there was a draft or something else where he may have gone into that a little more and changed his mind, or... Are you talking about Glad? Are you talking about Gladwell? Yes, yeah. Oh, so I, you, you have a, okay, so... The way the chapter ended was strange for me, so... Why, why, why was it strange? I thought, because he, you know, I thought he was going to go more into uh, Jerry's innocence, the possibility of Jerry's innocence, because, and as the Wall Street Journal called out, he, he kind of stayed away from that, um... Interesting. Very interesting. See, look, I'm in a very difficult spot because I've had conversations with Malcolm that are obviously not on the record. And yeah. uh, and and I and I, I I believe that you have the same take on Malcolm that I do. Uh, you can agree or disagree. Uh, I think that Malcolm's real opinion on this is much stronger than he is willing or able to say in a book. I think it yes. is quite. Po- you so you agree? I mean, with it's it. hard to come out and say what you say. I mean, it's hard to it's, you know it's hard to. There's very few people. You're one of the very, very small, a handful of people who have been, who have been, you know, Jerry's innocent for for years, and that's and really that's just you know, people don't go that far, right? Especially when they have very something, awesome. especially when they have something to lose, like Malcolm Gladwell yes. does. So yes. it's interesting to me that you read the chapter as, wait a minute, this feels like there might have been a different draft. It was building up, building up, and it was like okay, and but you no, know, but that's you know it. It was just a great chapter. You know I what? He's a great writer. You know, I, you, I, I, I AJ, I think you might be right. Now that I think about it, I think you might be right. That would be consistent with everything I know, that there was an original version of this that was more dramatic uh, towards the issue of Sandusky's innocence and that it got uh, – an editor said, whoa, 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 whoa. You sure you really want to do this? And the- it, 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 it may not have been – it could have been an editor. It could have been – or he could have been – on his own. And right. I didn't have any discussions off the record with him. Everything I, I talked to was on the record. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's like, you know, you, you, you write that. Even if, you, if no one calls it out, it's sitting there for a couple of days. You move on to another chapter. Right. And you're like, should I really say that? You know, should I right. really, should I really, you know. Right. And you know, so, and so basically what the Wall Street Journal did in this review was to say, well, wait a minute. You lay out a pretty darn strong case that Sandusky is innocent, but you don't go there. That's, they yeah. called it, they called it lazy. I think that was the nicest word. I they, don't think it's lazy. No. What word would you have used? What, what word would you have well, used? Uh, I wouldn't, it was, it's not a lack of effort. I think it's just, you know, I think he just, 
you know, it's fear. It's fear, right? Fear could have. Yeah, I think fear would be a lot better than lazy. I mean, right. Fear's, and that, and and fear is not not a bad thing. Lazy is about always a bad thing. Fear is not always a bad thing. It's self preservation. It's you know, there's there's reasons. You know, we we are careful with with with, with, with topics like this. You know, there there are reasons that you know. Yeah, well, we, you know what? You know, it's funny you say we're careful with topics like this. Here's the problem, AJ, and this is the big picture, and whether it's Kavanaugh or any, any of these other similar stories, we're only careful when it comes to debunking them. We're not careful when it comes to making the allegations anymore. And that, to me, is the scary part because what one- – you know, And that's one thing I always pride myself on is, like, you know, I, I always – I mean, there's very few times – most, most times when there's, when, there's when there's sexual harassment, sexual allegations – the vast majority are true, um, and we also know the the there's only a, only a fraction of these crimes or these incidents actually get reported to the police or administrators or somewhere else. So we know it's it's a problem. But I've covered several stories over the years where the person was vindicated, the person who these allegations were made against were vindicated, and it pisses me off, and it still does, where they don't want to talk after they've been vindicated. They just wanted to go away, and it's just like you know we write. You know, there's been a few. Of them. I, I, I get all that, but but, but 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 you agree with my basic point that we are yeah. no longer yeah, I mean, careful. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, we. You know, I think I don't think it, it's flashy. It's flashy. It's easy to write. Hey, and so, and once that once that once the narrative is created, it's yeah, almost impossible. It's, it's impossible to take it back, and yeah. that's why we should be more careful about these things. And exactly. this and I the think, you know, and I think I've yeah I've I'm not I'm not a yeah I'm not you know I don't hop on it and right. I have a person as a person who's been um, you know been covering the stuff for twenty uh, off and on for twenty years um, you know a lot of these cases and I, I know a lot of these allegations and I, I've also been there where the allegations were where a person was acquitted and we all knew and there other stuff came out that he was this person was guilty. Okay. I was on my first trial. I right, but just the, so. to bring it back to Penn State. This was a classic case, a classic case where almost to a comical level, the entire news media accepted a narrative in two days based upon no information when here I am seven years later plus still trying to figure out exactly what did and did not happen. That's yeah, absurd. Like, yeah, well, people accept the indictment. I mean, people accept indictments, and it's a big, you know, right. and that's coming from an official source. It's coming from prosecutors, yeah, well, state attorney. With an ins- people with- accept, and people, 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 you know, believe, you know, it's been investigated by the police. It's been investigated by the prosecutors. This, this has to be true, you know, and that's why, you know, this, people do forget about, you know, right. not guilty until, you know, you know. There's no guilt. You're, you're innocent until proven guilty well, for the law. People forget that part. Well, then I believe the media has completely distorted the rules on this, uh, and it, it's far easier now for innocent people yeah. to be railroaded than ever before. But let me, yeah. one last thing. Uh, and uh, sure. um, I, This week, uh, it's gotten some publicity, although not nearly, in my opinion, enough, except for Tim Tebow uh, going crazy on, on ESPN. <laughs> the, um, the California legislature has passed a bill that would, um, I believe, make it uh, mandatory for California colleges to uh, allow uh, college athletes to be able to financially benefit from their own name and likeness. 
And uh, and this is one of those situations where, uh, you know, to the average person who hasn't thought about it much, boy, that sounds fair, right? I mean, why should these guys create uh, all sorts of revenue for their schools and get nothing in return? Uh, mm-hmm. But to me, this is a classic situation of where there will be catastrophic unintended consequences uh, under uh, under any scenario, should this yeah. become law, where do you stand on that? Yeah, you're right. I think it's going to be. It all, it, first of all, it, you know, the Pac-12. It's not. It's not what it used to be. If uh, if this happens when USC's during USC's heyday, um, you know, and obviously this is, this covers yeah, you know, this covers a lot of schools, uh, including my my old college, uh, San Jose State. So yeah, I think it's this is uh you know the incident is a cartel. You know they 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 came out against it, put a press release out um, was it a day or two ago, um, and it's you know there there are going to be you know could the NCAA pull all all the championships you know from from the state like they like they've done over sports betting in other places, you know there's a, there's a lot of things out there that you know that it's, I think it's we're I think we're headed in the direction that the that uh, that this bill that was passed. You know, nationwide, we're heading in that direction. I think I think more and more, and you've seen lawsuits, you abandon lawsuit, and others where we're headed more towards. You know, we need some kind of compensation. These coaches are making millions okay, of dollars. But, but but to do it in this fashion, AJ, would destroy. No, it's going to be. It's going to be. It, I, I, it'll be interesting if uh, the governor signs it, and if uh, you know what what unintended consequences are going to happen. Because it's of it. going I mean, to be. I, I, I'm curious to see. It, well, see. yeah, what you're going to see is the destruction of college sports in one way or another. I mean, either the NCAA yeah. is going to make Cal- uh, California schools ineligible, uh, yeah. which is going to be uh, you know, a, a huge uh, controversy, uh, or more likely they're going to back down because of public and media pressure because you guys in the media are all in favor of this for some bizarre reason. Uh, mainly yeah. because well, I, think it's, I think it's kind of more of a, you know, we've it's 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 about coach coaches pay, but there's also other things. It's like you know, there's there's only a couple of revenue sports out there: basketball, right, but football. This is and there's a couple others, maybe hockey okay. in certain places. But if but, California uh, does this, if California, basketball. if the NCAA backs down, then that means every college is going to do this, and yeah. it will be recruiting and NCAA, chaos. The NCAA need to change. I mean, they're you know they're it will be NCAA the end. Pulling pulling. Pulling national titles, including from USC, for yeah. over over um, illegal payments to players. It's it's happened, and it's going to continue to happen. There's got to be some kind of change. I don't know if this is the right way to do it. This would be um, it's idiotic. Not affect anything outside of the, outside of California, it's not going to have any meaningful change immediately. So you know, I think I disagree. I I disagree. I think if the NCAA backs down, it means that everyone it's 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 the wild west. I, I yeah. I'm, yeah, and as as we've seen with the FBI investigation into, into college basketball recruiting, it already is, and it's, yeah. it's just people not getting caught. Um, yeah. Players are players right now right. Are, are getting caught yeah. somewhere. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, if this goes through, uh, AJ, uh, college sports will um, will eventually lose its popularity because um, yeah. uh, they, the, the, it is, the, the only thing that makes it different than uh, pro sports is this. Uh, now you just made it a minor league. And guess what? No one gives yeah, a shit well, about – no one gives a shit about minor league sports. And there's a reason why they don't. Uh, and there's a reason – I think there's, you know, there's certain – 
people people think college sports is a big money maker. It is for most colleges. It loses money. Well, that's from, part of the problem. Colleges. That's part of the problem yeah. because so, because only a like, few you know, schools, only a few yeah. school fan bases are going to make this work for them. And boy, are they going to make it work for them? Texas, oh, yeah. and, and, Alabama, and, and Clemson. See it, already with these nice weight rooms these guys have. No, no, no. We're, so, we're, this is like a big selling this, point. This is just going to be. The money's going. It's going to be pure prostitution, and it's not going to work. Anyway, look, AJ, appreciate you i was surprised you agreed to come on uh well, hey, i do i am not i don't i don't i don't hide well <laughs> and i and i know and i know i i apologize again for yeah well for the timing of all this well you owe me dude you you, you owe, i know i owe you you, you owe me you and more importantly uh, more, more importantly than me exactly. more importantly than me aj you you owe the truth a, a lot I do. here yes okay okay you I'm got always it? gonna i'm always gonna be held accountable i i, I should be held accountable for everything right. that I write, everything uh, I do. All right. Well, <laughs> and uh, and I and I yeah. Well, I'm gonna hold, not, I'm gonna hold you accountable yeah. for this, and we're gonna keep in you, touch. And uh, definitely, John. All right, AJ. Thanks so much for your thanks time. Thanks for having me on. Just to clarify, the Wall Street Journal article that AJ and I talked about uh, briefly there that was done by a woman by the name of Carol Tavris, and. Uh, I was alerted to this by my father, and only my father, which is really odd. I am efforting getting a hard copy of the article because the Wall Street Journal has a paywall, which, again, is another frustration of this case. Is So a lot of people can't see it. So in the next few days, I should have a hard copy of this remarkable article, which is in the Wall Street Journal, actually in the paper on Saturday, where they take Malcolm Gladwell to task for, among all, above all things, not being willing to say that Jerry Sandusky is very likely innocent. And that might be the most amazing thing that anyone has ever written in the mainstream media about this entire case. Now, I don't know anything about Carol. I'm hoping to speak to her. I do know that uh, Mark Pendergrast, who wrote the book The Most Hated Man in America, which also says that Jerry Sandusky is innocent, and knows her, and that's probably how she got connected to this case. It's clear to me that she read Pendergrass's book. She references me in the Wall Street Journal article, so she clearly became familiar with my work because of Pendergrass's book. Uh, so hopefully we'll talk to her in the future. Again, not a huge game changer, but probably the thing that kept me from blowing my brains out this week. That was If that had not happened, I, I, I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast this week. And my kids would be going to McDonald's, McDonald's, because uh, I wouldn't, Daddy wouldn't be around anymore. Uh, but so thank you to Carol uh, Tavris for uh, keeping me alive for another week, because uh, that's what her uh, her review in the Wall Street Journal uh, did. Now uh, the Malcolm uh, Gladwell story obviously dominated this podcast and much of my week, but I have also still been focused on the Leaving Neverland HBO fiasco, and there have been several uh, developments there. Uh, earlier in the week, Cheryl Crow, former backup dancer for Michael Jackson, who had been very supportive of him up until Leaving Neverland came out, and she made some uh, very stupid and uh, uncorroborated remarks that are completely contradictory to everything she said in the past uh, that were critical of Michael Jackson, indicating that she thought he might be a pedophile. She went on uh, Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen on Bravo. Now, this is one of my wife's favorite shows. And interestingly, I get a lot of clips from Watch What Happens Live. It's a very clip-worthy show because Andy Cohen really does get his guests to open up. This might, however, have been contrived. This might have been her on purpose. 
being asked this question because she wanted to get it out there because she had gotten so much wrath from the, the legions of Michael Jackson fans. And so this was uh, Cheryl Crow on uh, Bravo, a clip that I tweeted out and has been seen by like 40,000 people or more. Uh, and here's what that sounded like. Most regrettable thing you've ever said in an interview. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I think I might have said something recently about Michael Jackson. Right. And that kind of backfired, um, but kind of taken out of context. Thank you very much. Yeah, that kind of backfired, kind of taken out of context. <laughs> I might have said something about my, gee, uh, I might have. That might have been why you asked me the question, Andy, because I asked you to ask me the question, which is why Andy jumped in there with the right. I mean, let's listen to this again. I think the more I listen to this, the more I'm convinced that this was a setup. Most regrettable thing you've ever said in an interview. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, I think I might have said something recently about Michael Jackson. Right. And that kind of backfired, um, but kind of taken out of context. Thank you very much. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I'm so shocked by the question I knew was coming, Andy. <laughs> but uh, to the, for the most part, it didn't really work because I tweeted that out and it got a ridiculous. In fact, the moment, the, <laughs> how strange my life is. The moment I'm watching this with my wife, I, I immediately turn to her and I go, all right, I need to stop, record this because this is going to get at least 500 retweets. It got well over 600 the last time I checked. So, so I, always underest- I always underestimate the Michael Jackson fans who have been amazing. If the Michael Jackson, my God, if the Penn State fans had been one one hundredth as uh, filled with uh, passion and clue and guts as the Michael Jackson case, the, the Paterno statue would still be up. Uh, you know, the 150th anniversary of college football would be all about Joe Paterno. But because most Penn Staters are gutless morons, uh, I'm actually kind of in the camp of they got what they deserve. But the Jackson fans have been uh, unbelievable. Uh, And we had another example of that when uh, yesterday, last night here in Los Angeles at, I guess, the there's a secondary Emmys ceremony, one that's not on live television, where they give out the minor awards like for documentaries and that kind of stuff, Uh, leaving Neverland unbelievably unbelievably got the Emmy for most outstanding documentary. It's just flat out ridiculous. Uh, Now talk about setups. This uh, was pretty obviously a setup one because HBO sponsors the Emmys. HBO has the most nominations of anybody else at the Emmys. And James Savechuck, one of the two accusers in leaving Neverland posted a photo like smiling. Hey, look at we're together here in Los Angeles for the Emmys with Dan Reed, the director of the film, uh, like the day or two before the Emmys, referencing Dan Reed as an old friend. An old friend. No, he's your documentary filmmaker. You, right there, that blows apart any objectivity in the entire film. I mean, he's your old friend. You're together at some bar or restaurant getting ready to go to the Emmys together. Well, of course, Safechuck was only going to go to the Emmys if they knew or had a very good idea they were going to win. So they, they win uh, the Emmy, uh, which is much like Millie Vanilli winning a Grammy. I mean, it's, it's basically the same thing. It's, it's Millie Vanilli all over again. And um, while the uh, Jackson fans were reacting with understandable outrage to this, I got an idea about how uh, I would react to it. 
And I've referenced before that the Emmys are a joke. And the reason why I know the Emmys are a joke is because I have an Emmy. Now, I have an Emmy. It's a regional Emmy from the Mid-Atlantic region from 2002, back when I was working in television in Philadelphia. But I, I know the process. And I realize the regional Emmys and the national Emmys are slightly different. But let me tell you, it's a joke. Okay, It's a complete joke. And if I have an Emmy... Anybody has an Emmy. There, there are lots of people with absolutely no talent who have lots of Emmys. Uh, there, it is a total farce. And it's obviously become more of a farce uh, in recent years uh, when HBO is clearly just buying uh, this award. So uh, what I did was I took my Emmy and I gave it to my daughter, Grace. You know, Grace. You know, she's been on this show many times before. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? Well, she's seven years old now and she really loves doing videos. And so uh, I was very impressed by how well she pulled this one off because all I did, this took literally three minutes. I gave her the Emmy. I said, here, can you just present this Emmy to the worst actors, the members of the Robson and Safe Chuck families? And she, we, it only took two takes. The, and the first take might have been better than the second take, but she forgot to mention her name. In the first take, so I decided we'll use the second take because she uh, references her name, and so I I videotaped it and uh, and tweeted it out, and and here's uh, I think this is what that clip sounded like. Hello everyone, I'm Grace Dickler. I want to make a message. The Emmy goes to the worst acting, the Robson and Safechuck families. So she did a really good job, and considering she's seven years old and she had no real idea what I was talking about, and we've talked about Michael Jackson before and how uh, he's been lied about, and so she has a little bit of a clue about the whole thing. But that was really good, and it's even better in video form. So if you haven't seen it, uh, go to my Twitter feed, which is Zygmunt Freud, and uh, you'll get a kick out of that. Last I checked, which was a little while ago, it had well over 30,000 views. Uh, which again just shows how how amazing the Michael Jackson fans are, and and very little blowback. I thought I might get some blowback for that one, but so far, uh, certainly not from the Jackson fans. They they seem to love it. Uh, and um, one other mo- uh, point on this: there's been a controversy involving the film and Rotten Tomatoes. Apparently, the Rotten Tomatoes website shut down the audience score for Leaving Neverland. The critic, you know, they have the critic score and the audience score. The critic score here is a 98% positive, which shows you just how cowardly the news media is. Because once a narrative is said, especially on child sex abuse, you're not allowed to go against it. So it's like you're risking your job if you don't give Leaving Neverland a positive review. And no one wants to do that because these jobs are very difficult to come by. So, so it gets 98%. I'm amazed it's not 100%. A positive review by the critics, but they shut down the audience because there's so many negative reviews, mostly from the Jackson fans. Well, apparently at some point this week, they allowed the audience score to go back up, and it's it last to check, it was like at 30% and going down. Uh, and uh, But it's just another classic example of just how invested every element of the media is into this sham. And that's what it is. It's a total sham, and this will not age well. The Emmys will regret this, I do believe. Because I, I think, unlike the Penn State case, I think this one's going to be fixed eventually. Because, largely because of the Michael Jackson fans and because the Michael Jackson estate has so much damn money 
to be able to make things happen. So on, on that uh, somewhat positive note, that'll do it for this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Uh, please, uh, as always, I ask only two things of you. Number one, uh, make sure you share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, uh, if you're one of those people who sleeps when you sleep, you use sheets. Please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed. Ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.